You know, what I'm going to talk about this morning is a practice that uh, my guess is that many in this room already do. So my goal today is not to teach you something new. You follow me? Now, for some, it may be new, and I hope to give you something that will be very helpful and a practice that Jesus does, and it'll be something that uh, give you a, a place to start if you haven't, but my guess is most people are doing it. So as I said, my goal is not to teach you something new. It's really to add a new dimension or a tweak to something you're already doing. Now, we know the difference that one degree temperature rise in water can make at 211 degrees, you've got hot water. At 212, you've got boiling water. And boiling water creates steam, and steam has enough power to actually move a train, to move a ship, uh, to make a large machine work. And so, you, you, many have heard this, and many have said maybe too much, except for Susan, you like it, Susan. That's why I have grabbed that personal value of excelling still the more. Because you excel just one degree more, it can make all the difference between Holy Spirit energy in your life and just walking with a hot life. So I want to pray to start us off this morning. Uh, Father, I, I want to pray because... Uh, so my good brother Don reminded me this morning that, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. People say, I already got this. I know this. I do this. I love the way Howard Hendricks said it, Lord. He said that familiarity breeds ignorance. And so, Lord, there's going to be an opportunity for people to turn me off early because they say, I got this one. And Lord, I pray that you would defeat that kind of attitude and feeling and you would help us all sit on the edge of our spiritual seats to hear a way that maybe we can excel even one degree more and hopefully through that connect with you in a more significant way and move from being hot to being boiling. That the energy of the life of Jesus would flow through us in a new and fresh way. So Lord, I pray Give us ears to hear you today, to understand your word. Uh, Lord, to be able to walk away, Lord, with a tool in our belt that we can use day after day after day. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what's this practice? Basically, we call it our devotional life, our quiet time. Now you know I say, ah, well, I do that one. I got that one surrounded. That's the time when we intentionally set apart time. This series is about, you know, this whole problem of hurry in our life and the unhurried life. A quiet time is that time where we pull away from our activity for the day or on a regular basis to be intentional to connect with God. And like I said this morning, my hope is that I can help for those who don't have it, give you a basis to start. And what I'm going to give you today to start is something that uh, after years of practice, 
after years of hearing sermons, after seminary, Bible college, hearing about this through my life. I'm gonna give you where I'm at today and what I believe, if that's where you start, I think you'll have a great place to start in connecting with God. For years, to be honest with you, I had quiet times that I believe fell way short of what God desires in that time. It falls way short of what we learned last week what the purpose of doing these practices of Jesus are all about. Because here's the reality. Well, we learned last week, what's the purpose of these practices? We're gonna be intentional to pull away from the hurry and the busyness of our life to be able to connect with God. And in that connection, we're hoping two things come about. Transformation, where we become more godly people, more Christ-like, but also an opportunity to reorient our life around Jesus. So that's the purpose of a quiet time. And for years, what I did is rather being intentional to seek God, I was intentional to get into the Word. My guess is there's a lot of believers that struggle with the same thing. They're getting into the Word. And they get done with their time in the Word, and they think, this is great, I've done it. I think you missed the whole point of a devotional life in a quiet time. Because the purpose is to get into the Word to connect with God (laughs) and to be transformed by that connection and to reorient my life around Him. So this is what Pat did. Pat would get into the Word. And instead of connecting with God, I'd learn more of the Bible. I would get the text more accurate. I could do the Word studies. I can find the context. I can do the cultural background. I can give you the big idea to the text and never connect with God. Did that for years. In fact, when I went to pray, rather than talking with God, you know what I did? I said my prayers. Not even conscious that I'm talking to God. (laughs) Just went through my list of my routine prayers, praying for the people I normally pray about, saying the things I normally say, but not really recognizing that I'm talking to God. And when it came to worship, I listened to music and I sang songs, but my heart never really engaged with God. I said, God, that is so true of you, and I lift you up, and amen. Thank you, God, that you found me. Thank you, God, you led me out of Egypt, every time we sing these songs on Sunday, we should be stopping in our heart and worshiping God and elevating him and thanking him. And just, you know, that's what worship is about. It's not about singing songs. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, it's possible to have a quiet time where you get to know the word better and you say your prayers and you listen to Christian music and may even sing it, but never connect with God. How do I know that? Because that's what I did for years. But God in his mercy, he found me. (laughs) And he began to deal with me and redirect the purpose of my quiet times. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. You know, we've learned that a Sabbath is one day a week where we stop from all our busy and hurry and we pull aside to rest, to delight, to worship, 
to reorient our life around God. And really quiet times is that daily or that regular basis. I, I, I want to lift the guilt up. You know, my, I, my goal is daily. I don't accomplish my goal all the time. So, you know, we always talk about daily quiet time. I always going to feel guilty because I don't do it. That's my goal. I have not made that, but I believe it's regular in my life. And so I want to remove that weight off of people. And we're talking about a regular practice of coming to God as often as it can and connecting with him, pulling away from the busyness and the hurry on a regular basis to be transformed and reorient my life around God. So let's start with this. It was a practice of Jesus. That's what this series is about. We're talking about practices of Jesus, habits that Jesus had, spiritual disciplines, we call them. There, I, I like what Zach said in, in the video. He talked about us being like Jesus and us doing what Jesus did. When we do these practices that Jesus did, we become more like Jesus. And so this is a practice that Jesus actually had. Turn to Mark chapter 1 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 1. If you're newer to the Bible, it starts in Matthew, and Mark is the second book of the Bible, or the second book of the New Testament. You're sharp, Lois, you caught me. Second book of the New Testament. And we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35, but let me give you the context first. Jesus, the day before, just got done with a full day of ministry. In the morning, he was teaching in the synagogue. So those of us that taught before know how just teaching alone can kind of wear you out where you end up with your Sunday afternoon nap. And uh, so you're just... He gave out tremendous energy in the bringing of God's word to the people. But guess what he did after the service? Rather than just getting coffee and a donut, he cast out a demon. And so he had a confrontation with demonic powers. And he cast the demon out of a person. And then on his way home, or I should say on his way to Simon's house afterwards, uh, he got there, they were going to have lunch together, and Simon's mother-in-law had a severe fever. And Jesus healed that fever. Now, the word about Jesus was starting to spread. Uh, after that morning service with the teaching, like, wow, we've never heard anybody teach like this guy before. And he even cast them out demons. And so the word was spreading throughout that whole area. So by that evening, people from the whole area had come who were sick, and who had friends that were demon-possessed or family members and brought them. And so that at his door, it says the whole city was gathered together to seek Jesus, to heal them and to cast out demons. And Jesus did that with many of the people. He healed them and cast out the demons. Now it's the next morning. And this is the passage we come to, verse 35. Mark 1, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Now you need to understand my response after a day of ministry like that. Most likely if they came looking for me because everybody's back at Moraine, Pat, it was such an unbelievable day, they've invited all the friends, people are back, they want you to come, going to speak to them and, and do those things you did. And you know where they'd find me? They'd find me asleep. I set my alarm late that morning because I'm tired from the day. But Jesus got up early. And he went out and found us a clue. But there's another thing that probably I would have done. I would, when they came and wake me up, I probably said, yeah, yeah, let's get it together. Uh, call the, you know, get everybody together. Here's a golden opportunity. God is moving. We need to take advantage of this and go back to where the people are and keep bringing the power of the kingdom of God to these people. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus missed the golden opportunity, did he? No. Because what Jesus did in verse 35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying. He was connecting with God. He got away from the busyness and the hurry of life to connect with God. You know what that meant? that Jesus, in connection with God, could hear the still, small voice of the Spirit of God in the midst of even a golden opportunity to say, this one's not for you. And how many of us have got that ability to hear the Spirit of God in that way that even when it looks so obvious, obviously this is God, Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm here for. We're going someplace else. So Jesus would get up early, and this was actually his habit. Turn to um, Luke chapter 5. We're going to see that Jesus didn't just do this one time, and this is an isolated text. Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 15. And the context is this. Jesus healed a leper. And just like the last one in verse 15, guess what? News about him spread. Matter of fact, it said it, it spread it even farther. It was already spreading. Large crowds were gathering to Jesus to hear him teach and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself often would often slip away to that secluded place in the wilderness and pray. You know, that word often, some of you see it's in italics, that means they inserted that word. That's inserted because slip away is in the present tense. You know, that means it's an ongoing, habitual thing. Jesus would on a regular basis, habitually, regularly, slip away 
from the busyness and the hurry of life to go to a secluded place to be alone with God and connect with him. It was Jesus' habit. It was his practice. It's amazing as you look at this that as demands and opportunities grew, Jesus would slip away and seek to connect with God. Brothers and sisters, that's our biggest excuse for not connecting with God. That's my biggest excuse. I've got a lot to do. There's opportunities out here. There's things to do. There's demands on my life. I just can't meet with God today. But Jesus lived just the opposite. There's opportunities out here and there's demands and there's things to do. So I got to meet with God and get meet with him regularly so I can hear that small, still, small voice of God and walk with him the way he wants me to walk with him. This was the practice in Israel. Exodus 33 verse 7 says this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. What does that mean? Where was the camp? That's where life was taking place. Day in, day out, people interacting, busyness, hurry, going back and forth. And you know what? They connect, they put this tent outside the camp, way away from it, and he called it the tent of meeting. Why do you call it tent of meeting? Because that's where they would meet with God. And everyone who sought the Lord, you want to find the Lord, you want to connect with God, would go out to the tent of meeting. They would leave that crowded place where life was taking place with others. And they would go to the tent of meeting, the tent to meet with God, which was outside the camp. You know, guys, this is, this is a practice. We saw that with Israel. We see this with Jesus intentionally moving away from the busyness of life, the crowds of people, getting alone with God in a secluded place to meet with him. I want to talk about uh, four foundational principles, just real briefly, that we learn from Jesus in this. But before we go there, how many of you picked up a flyer on the way? Well, let me ask, how many didn't pick up a flyer on the way in? Raise your hands high, because the whole rest of the sermon is on this flyer. Because I'm going to talk to you now about the practice that I do uh, when I go to connect with God, not just get into the words, say my prayers, and sing Christian songs. So, uh, hopefully you can keep this in your Bible or someplace close by you. For many of you, this will be the 1%. Hopefully you'll learn some here. Say, well, I never, never tried it that way before. Or... For some, you say, I, I, don't, I don't meet with God. Well, here's a great starting place. And I hope that three years from now, you can say, I got even a better way, Pat. <laughs> we tweaked this one 1%. So this isn't the final word on quiet times. But it's a word. And I think it'll be helpful to you. 
And I start by laying out the four foundational principles we're going to talk about right there at the top. Anybody else not have one? Raise your hand high. And uh, let's start. The first principle of this, it was often or regular. Again, I'm trying to take the burden. You know, if you don't do this daily, you should feel guilt and you're a bad Christian and all that. That's not about that. But I would want you to be able to say, you know, it is often enough in my life that I would call it regular. Because that's what Jesus did. He often slipped away. This was his habit. So I would make it my habit to often or regularly have this time to meet with God. The second one was this. Busyness, hurry, opportunities, and things to do should not stop us from doing this. You catch that? I do know. That's my biggest excuse. My guess is it's probably many of your biggest excuses. I don't have time for this. I got too much to do. You don't don't realize people need me. Well, here's the reality. You know, if you think people need you or me, what about Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, Jesus said, no. I need to be with my Father. Make it a secluded place. A place that is free of distractions. Free from others, free from the busyness and hurry of life. You just want to get to a place where you're alone and won't be distracted. And finally, do it to seek God. Don't do it just to get in the Word, say your prayers, and sing Christian songs. Seek God. God, that's the purpose. These are the principles we learn from the passages we looked at. If we use this as our internal GPS in our devotional life, then that's going to put us in a place where we're going to increase that 1%. The goal is this. Again, wrote it all out here for you. The goal is this. My goal is to enter into the presence of God without any agenda except to build my relationship with him and enjoy him. I want to listen to him. I want to, you know, I listen to him through his word and through prayer. I just, the understandings in my heart and the still small voice of the spirit. I'm going to seek after his agenda, just like Jesus. Guess what, God, I'm going to have a lot of opportunities today. I'm going to have a lot of emails. I'm going to have a lot of calls. I'm going to have a lot of people stop by. Lord, where do you want me to focus my time? Who do you want me to engage with today? And to share my heart with him. That's prayer, talking to him. And worship him. The method I'm going to share with you today is kind of a mixture of Martin Luther's and and some of what I do. Uh, We learn about Martin Luther's method on how he did his time with the Lord Uh, through a letter that uh, they found that he wrote to his barber. Because his barber asked Martin Luther, how do you pray? So Martin Luther wrote a letter to his barber explaining. So that's why we know this is from Martin Luther, the heart of what we're going to talk about. And the first thing Martin Luther would do was capture the heart of the passage. What we're going to see here, I'll explain it. Martin Luther, the heart of his devotional life was praying through God's Word. But before you pray through the Word, you've got to know what the Word says. 
So the first thing he'd do was find the text. I love it. I think it was Charles Finney. But one of the great reformers said this. When I started reading God's word on my knees, my whole life and my whole ministry changed. Guys, many of us, reading the word is just about getting more of the word, getting the text right, getting the grammar right, getting the lexicon right. You know, we can go on and on with the list of stuff. But when you come to God's word like Martin Luther did and like Charles Finney with an attitude of praying through this, what God's saying to you, that's a whole different ballgame, whole different ballgame. So, but the first thing he would do is, what does the text say? Martin Luther, as we know, was a great intellect. (laughs) But he started with, what does the text say? I love what Jesus said. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It's just those who keep. A lot of people want to emphasize the obeying of the word. Just as important as having the word, knowing what it says. They're both equally important. One without the other just doesn't stand right. It doesn't balance. You have to have God's word and know what it says, and you need to keep it. If this is all you have and you don't keep it, you're missing the ball game. You say, I'm going to keep it, but you don't know what this says, you're probably keeping the wrong thing. You're just sincere. So here's the process I go about at trying to um, capture the heart of a passage, okay? I start with this. I open with prayer. Psalm 119, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your word. I like that word, wonderful things. I want to behold things that are going to make my heart wonder. And you know what? Sometimes that comes by things I've read a thousand times before, but the Spirit of God is just in a new way opening up that to me. And so I start with saying, God, open my, you know, so I start with prayer. God, this is a supernatural time. This isn't just Pat bringing his process to the table. This is a relationship with Jesus. I'm trying to connect with him. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to be in the center of this time. So I pray for God Uh, to meet me in his word. And then I not only read a passage, I reread it. Guys, I just got to tell you, I'm not one that reads six. I know people like to read through the Bible and they'll read six, 10, 15 chapters. You know what happens when I do that? I can't remember what the first chapter was. I can't remember what the fifth chapter was. I read a lot, but I have no idea what I read. So this is what I do. I take a paragraph to focus on. Because a paragraph is a complete thought. A sentence gives you a thought. A paragraph gives you a complete thought about a topic. And so when you're reading a paragraph, it's talking about something. And all those sentences contribute to complete the thought about what it's saying. So I work with paragraphs, and I want to read it, and reread it, and reread it, and I read it. Uh, I usually use my New American Standard, English Standard versions of great text, because those seek to be true to the uh, Greek. But you know what? I also love to read the New Living Translation, and I look at the Amplified, and I look at other things too, and read it through that, because these are people who are scholars that did a Great job of trying to be true to the text, but try to make it a little bit more readable to us today. So I read the text, and I reread the text, and I read it again. And I watch for turning points in the text, conjunctions. For, well, this explains why, uh, you know, or the reason for what just came before. So that, 
Here's the result of that. Therefore, here's the logical conclusion. Everything you read there, this is what you ought to do with it. You know, when you see these simple little conjunctions, they tip us off to what's going on. So I got this paragraph, and I, I really look at the conjunction and say, what's the flow of this text? Where's it going? You know, what, what's he trying to say? And I'm asking myself constantly these, and by the way, if you're reading in the Gospels or the Old Testament, reading a story, you look for a change of scenes. You know, I read one story at a time. That's why in some stories it could be two or three chapters. I get that. But when I read a story, I look for a change of scenes. You look for the story, you know, you got the introduction, the background, then you have some kind of conflict that happened and there's some crisis. Then they're trying hard to resolve it. Then you come to the conclusion down here and all that where you got this new reality. I try to watch for that. I watch for a change of scenes, change of who's speaking, change of scenery, change of whatever. But, you know, you want to look for these movements in the text so you can get a feel for the big picture of this text. That's what we're going for right now. And I ask myself these two questions. What's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about holiness. (laughs) Well, then the second thing, you know, that's the subject. Then I ask myself the second question, well, what's the complement? What's he saying about holiness in this passage? Well, you know, he talks about, you know, you could take Romans 6 about the holiness of presenting ourselves to Jesus results in sanctification. And so what I'm going to say is holiness is the result of presenting myself to Jesus and living moment by moment in light of that. That summarizes that section of Romans 6 for me in my own words. And now I got it and I own it. And so then I, I, I go back to the text. What, is there anything in particular in my heart was being drawn to in this text? You know, for some reason, every time I read it, this thing really stuck out to me. This was like glue. It was like a magnet. I just kept pulling my heart there. And I, I, I push on that. And I ask myself, what is God speaking to me about my life? What's God saying to me about my life today? Finally, what am I going to do about it? I love recently, I went through this process with uh, actually my son-in-laws. And uh, I love what one of them said. I, I said, how's God? And it didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, we were talking in Ephesians 5 before being filled with the Spirit about the wise man's not drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit and making the most of their time. I said, well, God, how's God speaking to you from this passage, guys, after we tried to summarize it? And one guy said this, God's telling me, you know, Pat, I need to get in the Word every day, not just when I meet with you. I thought, wow, that's good. That's what God was, and I, I have no idea why God was speaking to him about that. That isn't what the passage was about, but God was speaking to him about that. And I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, I'm going to set my alarm every day to remind me. I was like, wow, that is great. I saw him yesterday. How's it going? You know, Pat, I haven't been able to do it every day, but you know what? I've started reading now, and a number of mornings, uh, in the morning, I got my alarm set and remind me, and I'm taking time to start getting into God's Word. You know what the value of this is? This is my prayer today. Guys, sometimes say, God, use this sermon to change your life. I'm praying that God will use this sermon to bring you into His Word on a regular basis so that every time you meet with God through His Word, the Holy Spirit will preach a personal sermon to you if you start to practice this. And so that's what I do. 
And this is what Martin Luther adds to it. He does what I'll call war. He does war with the passage. He'll worship, that's the W. He'll admit sin, that's the A. And he'll make request of God. And all those are in light of the text. God, what, what can I worship and thank and praise God for in this text? God, is there anything in my life that's inconsistent, that's not in my attitudes, in my thinking, in my habits, in my actions? Are there anything here that is not matching up to your word? That's simply what you call sin, falling short. Then finally make request of God. God, would you do this in my life? You know, the scripture says, uh, you know, I should be doing this, but God, my flesh is so weak, I can't pull that off. Well, God, I thank you, put your spirit inside of me and your spirit can do this. God, would your Holy Spirit enable me to live this way? I want to declare, Lord, my trust is not in me, it's in you. You know, I, I was doing this yesterday morning. It was, it was unbelievably rich. John 15 was my devotional time yesterday morning. And I've been camping on the word abide for a week. It just, every time I think I got it, I'm like, I'm still missing it. <laughs> and I'm going back and I'm studying and looking up in scripture and doing all these different things. And I said, okay, God, I've been studying this for a week. I need to pray through. And I'll tell you what, it was an amazing time. Amazing time as first of all, as I worship Jesus as the true vine. You know, Israel was the vine that failed and never produced fruit for God and was unfaithful to him. But now he's saying Jesus is the true vine. And the father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the farmer. He's the one who keeps the vine. And so I was worshiping Jesus as the true vine, worshiping the father as the one who's watching over my life and pruning me when I need to be pruned, lifting me up and encouraging me when I, you know, whatever it needs to, to, to bear fruit. And as I began to pray about the word abide, and something I've been studying, like I said, over and over again, as I prayed, God just kind of in my heart gave me a word picture of what that was like. And, and all of a sudden, there was something that I studied for a week that I missed, and all of a sudden, God going this, and all of a sudden, my heart's going, Lord, you're talking about abiding. It's like Jesus has moved into the apartment with me. You know, abiding, it talks about our dwelling places, the place where we live. Well, Jesus has come to live with me and I live with Jesus. Now we're sharing our house together as one. And guess what I bring to that? Now, some people say, you know what I gotta bring to that? I gotta bring my part and I gotta do my part and I gotta really commit and try hard. Well, you wanna know what my part is? My part is I bring my flesh to the table which is terminally ill and incapable of doing what God wants me to do. I bring to the table a guy who of himself, apart from Jesus, can do nothing of eternal value for God. I bring to it, you know, I keep, you can fill in the blank. I bring my brokenness, I bring the depravity. But praise God, what Jesus brings to the table as he shares this apartment in my life, as I'm abiding in him, 
is, is the fact that now I've got Jesus in all of his life to be my all in all. What do you need, Pat? I'm your answer for it. I'm living with you. I'm one with you. And God just opened up that picture of my heart and my mind as I was praying. Guys, if you don't think that stoked up my life and the way I lived that day, So I just want to, I guess, I just want to give you a method. Take it home. Do it. If you do it, your life will be changed. You'll be like Charles Finney. Your life will change the day you start reading the scripture on your knees. It'll never be the same.